Welcome to the Productive Ministry Podcast. This is Tim. I produce this show. And if you listen all the time, you already know that. If you listen to the show all the time, you also already know that over the last several months, there has been a real lack of episodes. I wanted to forego our normal Audible ad to talk a little bit about what's been going on. Rocky and I have unfortunately just had a lot of personal and work-related stuff that has caused us to push the show onto the back burner. We are two guys with full-time jobs. Rocky is in full-time ministry. I have my own business. And uh, the show is just the two of us. This is the honest truth. Rocky goes out. He schedules the interviews, records them, does an initial edit, passes them on to me. I stitch the show together, make the final product, put together the final touches on the website and social media stuff. And it's a lot. It's a lot for the two of us to do. And while we love doing this and we're committed to doing it and we have actually at this point several interviews that are I'm the bottleneck keeping them from being released uh it just it got a little it got away from us for a little while but we are back on track here in the middle of January 2018 the episode today that you're going to hear is one of those episodes we recorded late last year and it's finally seeing the light of day we appreciate all of you who have stuck with us through the hiatus and we hope that the shows that you're going to be hearing over the next several weeks are going to be worth the wait. This show is episode number 29, Extreme Prayer. Our guest today is Greg Pruitt. He's the author of the book, Extreme Prayer. And here's our show. Welcome to Productive Ministry. I'm your host, Rocky. Our guest today is Greg Pruitt, who is president of Pioneer Bible Translators and the author of the book, Extreme Prayer, available now everywhere, including Amazon.com. Greg, I'm so glad you're on the show. Thanks for being here. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Man, I just have to say, one, I've been wanting to get you on the podcast for a year and a half, so I'm ecstatic that you finally made it on. Not only because this is an opportunity to uh, talk about Pioneer Bible Translators and stuff that you guys are doing, but you wrote this book that is just so inspiring to me challenging to me. So my first question is, why write a book on prayer? Well, you know, this is pretty much the only really good idea I've ever had. It's such a good idea. The things in this book are such powerful principles. I'm not sure I'll ever need another one. This is pretty much, I'm a one, one trick pony and this is, this is what I do. This is how I lead. Uh, it has proven to be amazingly powerful just to just to make prayer the strategy of of everything you do. Yeah, and that's really the concept of your book. So your book follows this uh, outline where you're talking about your time as a missionary Bible translator, working with is it the Yalunka people? Yeah, the Yalunka. So working with these people, uh, you, you share like little stories and tidbits, and then you talk about these awesome principles that, that you're learning about prayer and, and your story about becoming president of Pioneer Bible Translators. I have to ask you right off the bat, at the beginning of the book, you tell this story that had me panicking of this sick kid. You, his family, a family member comes to you and says, oh, this boy is sick, and he's off being treated by like their traditional medicine uh, doctor. They decide to bring them to you, and you have no medical knowledge, right? What is going through your mind as they're prepping to bring him? Like, what is that like? Walk me through this. Okay, well, you know, I had just, we had just moved there, my wife and I, and, you know, you could just picture National Geographic magazine. That's where we moved moved into. Mm -hmm. It's like a little village 
about about 800 people at the time and most most every house in it is just a round mud hut with kind of a grass roof thatch roof and um, cow manure slurry to kind of seal the mud walls and the floor you know, so it's real primitive kind of a setting and we didn't have a car at the time so you know later we might have taken the kid to the hospital or something but we didn't have any transportation we had two bicycles so really it's probably not a very good thing to move into a village in the middle of africa with no transportation but that's what somehow that's how yeah. that's how it happened at the time and then you know so you're just out there you remember some stuff you've got some books and here comes this big medical crisis. You know, the very first one that happened, this the pastor's kid fell in a fire. And we had we had said, no, we're not going to do any medical work. You know, so we're not going to train for that. We're not, we're, mm-hmm. That's going to be like a distraction. And then day one or two, the, the pastor's kid, they bring him to us and say, hey, the, the kid fell in the fire. And he, all these burns all over their legs. You know, so you're just like, whoa, okay, uh, get the books, honey. Let's, let's open them up and start trying to figure this out. And. It was just like that with this kid that, you know, okay, so the kid, uh, they're bringing this kid and, and now they're all going to be looking at me and I, I don't even, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not a doctor and I don't play one on TV. I mean, I have literally just all of the medical experience that I have is, uh, from growing up in the United States and watching lots of emergency television, you know, like all those television shows and they talk about pupils fixed and dilated. So I'm like getting a flashlight and shining them in this kid's eyes and yep, sure enough, it. His people's don't respond, so that's like bad, right? And you know, I, the the whole situation was, you know, pretty intense when you're the one experiencing it. You think, yeah, this kid, life or death, could you know, could hang on what we decide to do next. Wow, I mean, that's just that's just insane. They they bring you the kid, you start praying, and what blows me away immediately the first lesson you learn here is that prayer is the first thing you should be doing. Yeah, that. That, that That is an important lesson because, it, you know, when you first start trying to serve and you come from an American mindset, American mindset is, you know, I am sufficient. I'm going to come in here and I'm going to take my education and whatever else I've learned. But a situation like this, just you just start entering into all these completely questionable diagnoses. You're thinking, okay, well, meningitis could do this, but boy, sure hope it's not that because we don't have any medicine for that. And, you know, this could be like cerebral malaria, yeah. uh, but I don't know how to give... I got that medicine in tablets, but like, I don't know how to give that to an unconscious kid. And so you're just like casting around for ideas. And I remember standing there and saying, Hey, you know what? We are like missionaries and stuff. We should probably pray for this kid. And I mean, that was the moment the kid's mm-hmm. eyes blinked. And I was like, Oh man, I, I need to pray fast. Cause I think God's already doing something. And just saying the word prayer, you know, was a big difference. And I think that's what I learned from that situation and just a thousand other ones is that, you know, if you know the most powerful being in the universe and you're, you're close friends and, and he's constantly telling you what to do, why, why would you first go to medicine? Why would you first start with your dubious understanding of science instead of saying, Lord, guide us mm-hmm. here and teach us what to do here and work in power here. And then suddenly, you know, it's a completely different universe. I'm blown away by this because I, you know, I work with a lot of pastors and I've been a pastor for a long time. And this idea of of starting with prayer, I feel like even when we're doing hospital calls and things like that, in those situations, 
sometimes I think we're embarrassed to bring prayer up and we're at the hospital and someone is like looking to us for some sort of encouragement or they're wanting us to pray so that their their loved one is healed. That's a really intense moment. And I think most pastors are praying very passive prayers uh, out of fear. Sometimes we pray the will of God, but we pray the will of God not because we know the will of God. We pray the will of God as a cop-out so that we don't have to feel responsible for whatever uh, God is doing. I think that the fundamental reason that we have very poor prayer lives is a lack of faith. And we've seen, you know, kind of this idea of praying and faith misapplied so many times, we don't know how to apply it properly. We're afraid that God won't yeah. be powerful enough. So we have such a lack of faith. We don't want to pray anything that we could later know whether he answered or answered it or not. You know, so we don't pray boldly and then we never find out. Yeah. We never find out that he's real. We never find out that he's powerful. We never find out that he's willing to tell us what to do and willing to to show us how to minister. So it's it's such a transition from yeah. praying just weak, unspecific, general God bless the missionaries kind of prayers to getting up in the morning and getting on your knees and saying, God, here I am. What are you going to do with me today? Give me some marching orders and I'm going to listen and I'm going to beg for you to do things and I'm going to watch you move in power. Or if you don't move in power, that's okay too. I'm just going to still be here like a child. But that's so scary. <laughs> you know, it's scary to say, I, th I think for me, it's uh, it's a terrifying concept to pray a prayer like that, to wake up and say, because you actually talk about that in the book, uh, about, you know, waking up and praying these things. Because I'm always like, okay, what if God actually does ask me to do something that's... Like, like going to West Africa and moving in with just a couple of bicycles in a village in the middle of... I, I see your point, yeah. Or even going up to Oak Cliff, you know, where I'm from, my own neighborhood. Even even something simple like, oh, well, share your faith with your cousin or... You're, you're right. Uh, Jeremiah said uh, that the way he knew that, that there was a difference between the false prophets and the real prophets and the false prophets... The way that you could the general the the rule of thumb way to tell a false prophet is they're always saying things that we already all agree with. They're all saying peace. They're all saying good things, and that that he knew the word of the Lord because one mm -hmm. it burned like fire, and two it smashed like a sledgehammer. Yeah, and that's how he could tell he was talking to God and not something else. Yeah, that's that is scary. Man, it's terrifying but exciting. Well, yeah. How why would you live any other way? Once you, it's actually addictive. It's, uh, it is addictive. Once you start yeah. kind of opening the door for the, the creator of the universe to mess with your life, and, and, and you, then you say, you know what, it's not even mine. I'm just going to give that over and see what you get. It's pretty exciting stuff. So you're starting your ministry and things are going not great. And you, you open your, in the introduction of your book, you talk about uh, you and your wife are, are arguing and you're like, walking in the woods and you're going to, you're going to just be Tarzan and you just don't want to go back. <laughs> you walk in this big circle and you guys decide to take this prayer retreat and she gets sick. So during that, my question was during that time, because uh, you say that you guys didn't get to pray a lot together during that time because um, obviously she was sick, but you did get to pray at one time with each other as you were about to leave or something. When you're taking care of her and you're taking care of your baby during that time, are you, what are you praying about? You know, so that was a pretty pivotal moment in the life of my wife and I, because we, we got to, culture stress is huge. You know, you, you, you sign up for a big ministry and you say, I'm going to go and save the world and be a missionary and whatever. 
And then you get over there and you realize that you're way over your head and the stresses make you crazy. And, you know, we had a new baby that wasn't sleeping at night. And so we were what, what I call sleep depraved, where you're just like mm-hmm. cr- just crazy uh, out of your mind because you haven't slept in so long. So we really, really were suffering from that. And we decided, but well, I think the, the turning point and the point of the, of that part of the book is that prayer is not for the super spiritual prayer is for, for the people who are really desperate for God. And, uh, right. I think everybody can relate to, to that. And, you know, when you write a prayer book, people are like, Oh, it's going to be, I don't want to read this because it's just going to make me feel guilty. And then if you read the first chapter, you're like, Oh, I actually feel pretty good about myself now. This guy was in bad shape, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, that was kind of the point of the thing was to put people at ease and say, no, no, really, this is for real people with real problems and struggles. We, we decided we were going to not only quit being missionaries and go home, but we were going to get a divorce when we got there. I mean, that's how bad it got. Wow. The, the reason that we, the probably one of the reasons that the, we attribute our success at that moment to is that we were so dang far from the airport that we could not bear the idea of getting in the yeah. car with each other and driving to the airport and flying home. <laughs> so instead of yeah. that, we decided instead of doing all that, let's actually just take a week or take several days and we're going to go up into the mountains and we're going to pray or it's going to be like a big Moses moment or something, go up to the mountain and pray. I think God honored that, that desire God honored, but Satan wasn't done with just slugging it out. This our test. This was the test of our lives. Are you going to be just too stubborn to give up? Because that's the prerequisite for ministry. Or is is it possible for Satan to hit you with something that's going to make you give up? So, you know, we went up the, the mountain and as far as I know, our little baby be, uh, came sick with the mumps because the lady that was taking care of her, when we got back, she had the mumps and, and the child was too young to be vaccinated against the mumps. And usually that doesn't matter because nobody has the mumps. But mm-hmm. in Africa, guess what? Mumps. So this kid, you know, the kid yeah. is sick with the mumps. Rebecca comes down with something else. I mean, we're in a really aggressive, uh, biologically aggressive environment. Lots of diseases to pick from. You know, and I don't even know what they had. So the whole time I'm like cleaning up stuff and, you know, nursing people back to health and all this. But all I'm praying is just God, you know, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have Mm -hmm. mercy on me. When we finally got back in the car and Rebecca was healthy again and the baby was healthy again. And, you know, that was the end of the prayer retreat. I mean, basically almost no prayer happened. Uh, except for the groans that from the Holy Spirit that words could not express kind of a prayer. And we got back in the car, but we had a five-hour drive, yeah. and we started praying in the car. And I remember, man, the Holy Spirit showed up in that car. And we started praying, and we felt different. And I kid you not, the baby started sleeping at night. Everything started falling wow. together, and that was the pivotal moment of our lives. If we had not decided to pray at that moment, we would have gone home and possibly gotten divorced, and we wouldn't. I wouldn't be. The Yolonka people wouldn't have a whole Bible like they have now. And there's a like a church planning movement starting right now with like 23 villages yeah. where they just had one little church of 40 people, and now they've got 23 or 24 villages where they're starting to to plant the church and. You know, all these things wouldn't have happened. And Satan did everything he could to to destroy us that God would give him permission to do. And God used it to the good. And God caused us to turn to him instead of giving up. 
the, those five hours on our way home when we started praying, that was the moment that everything, that's the, the hinge of our lives. Yeah. One of the things, one of the concepts that you talk about is that prayer starts from this place of desperation. And I'm thinking about the majority of my listeners come from a place where desperation is not a common thing or a common experience, where we have so much uh, that even our most difficult times don't necessarily lead to a place of desperation. And I was wondering for like the average suburban Christian, first world Christian, how do we get to that place? Or what is that? Is that a mindset? Is that? Well, I think that while being broken and desperate is a good posture to begin praying, it's maybe not the only way if you're not in that place. But I'll tell you, that the desire to be mm-hmm. used by God is a prerequisite for this kind of prayer. Because if you are satisfied to live a normal life, you, you really can't you can't do this. You know, when Jesus Jesus's pronouncement on the earth was, mm-hmm. and and this is the way the Greek uh, reads, he says, "But when the Son of Man comes back, he's not going to find faith on the earth, is he?" And it's the saddest verse in the Bible. He's just like, you know what? Mm. It's not going to work out. Everybody's just going to be satisfied with living a normal life. And nobody's going to want to do something that is eternal fruit. And nobody's going to want to change the world around them. And nobody's going to be eager enough or passionate enough to make a difference, uh, to want to make an eternal difference. If you are that person who's, who looks around yeah. and, and finally looks at the world and says, you know what? I don't like what I see around me. I'm not okay with my neighborhood the way it is. I'm not okay with my family the way it is. I'm not okay with the situation around me. I feel a desire to change this situation. If you're in that place, then you're ready for prayer. Wow. There was this concept that you introduce in your book. We always talk about praying in Jesus' name. This is what you say. I'm just going to read directly from your book. You quote 1 John 5, 14 through 15 that says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. And then you say, praying in Jesus' name, John tells us, means praying the will of God for the world around us. There's the concept that has escaped me all these years. Whenever I read scripture and it was like, whatever you ask for in my name, you will receive. And you clearly state something that I never got, which was to pray in Jesus' name means that you are praying for the things that Jesus wants. Yeah, that's what it is. And what do we all know that Jesus wants? Well, we know that he wants and desires that all men would come to him. So when you pray in those things, that's how, those are the prayers that Jesus is going to answer, that you can pray with confidence and know, like, this is the will of God. Yeah, I think people are confused about prayer. And 95% of the time, if you sit people down and say, we're going to have a prayer meeting, first thing they do is start making a list of everyone they know who's sick and everyone they've heard of who's in a bad, sick situation. It's just like a, a roll call of sick people. Yeah. And, and then they say, man, I don't know why prayer is just so boring. It's like, well, you know, actually real prayer is not that boring. It's just the way you've made prayer is boring. Yeah. The, all of that is fine. You know, you, I'm not saying don't do that. I'm saying, okay, set that as like a baseline that, okay, that keep that. But I'm saying add a completely different dimension to your prayers where you pray like Jesus said, he promised infinite power unlimited, whatever you ask, prayer, power, it, when you pray things in, that are consistent with his name, that are in his name, through his, uh, the authority of his name, and his name, uh, you know, in the Bible, right. name things, name, names 
uh, represent and reflect the character of the person and the nature of the person. And Jesus's name actually has a meaning. It means Savior. You know, so to pray in Jesus' name hmm. is to pray for the salvation of the people around you. It's to pray His, you know, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, so the when you look around you, the question really is: if you want to have infinite power in your prayer life, the question is: what is Jesus doing in my neighborhood, in my family? What does he want to do? What's the master's business that he wants to do through me uh, in the world, in the neighborhood, in the family, in the church? And whatever you whatever you ask that's consistent with that, that's when he said you're going to have infinite power. You're going to have unlimited uh, resource of power, of God's power in your prayer life. You say a lot of us learn to pray the Acts prayer. Right. Change it to the active prayer. Do you want to just walk us through that real quick? Yeah, and I've even kind of added for your whole prayer, your whole spiritual life, I've kind of made it proactive. Mm-hmm. I could walk you through that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, the if you're willing for the to, to add the pro on the front end of it, I'll I'll add a couple of things that I don't have in the book. Okay, so proactive, proactive prayer. Okay, so the P is to make patterns in your life because good habits are as powerful as bad habits. So, like you, mm-hmm. you've got a chair. In the morning, you know you're going to get up, your your Bible's next to that chair, your prayer list is next to that chair, you're ready to go, you know you're getting up, you're going to make a cup of coffee, you're going to head straight over there. That's a pattern. you know. So, Or mm-hmm. I'm going to bed, here's the bedtime ritual, I'm going to go through this, I'm going to pray. Whatever it is, you know, make the patterns. And then uh, you're going to need to read the Bible, that's the R. So P is patterns, mm-hmm. R is read. But O is what you're reading the Bible for, it's for obedience. You're just going to open up the Bible and say, today, what can I obey? God, and you read a chapter. You read until you find something to change about yourself that day. Hmm. And that so that's your fundamental scriptural part. Then the active part that's in the is in the book. Adoration, just like in Acts, just like in the acronym Acts. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving. Those are all fundamental. And then you know supplication. You've got. I've changed that to intercession because it spells active, uh, but it's the same thing. You know, you're yeah. going to pray those things, pray for sick people. Sure. That's, you know, James says to pray for sick people, you know, pray for your kids, pray for your family, pray all the things you normally would pray, you know, that you instinctively pray. And then the V is all about spiritual warfare. It's vanquishing Satan. You know, it's a little bit unusual word in English vanquishing, but it spells the right word. And what it <laughs> means is I'm trying to put, put the spiritual warfare maintenance back in your life. Yeah. Because so many of the things that are happening around us, we don't even believe in unseen powers. But a lot of the, I mean, I can't see how you could watch the news and not believe in them. We need to learn better how to oppose Satan in our lives. And, you know, the long and short of that, a lot of people just say, okay, spiritual warfare, I pray more. Uh, that's that's not spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is like Jesus did or like Paul did. You say out loud, in the name of Jesus, I have nothing to do with you. You have nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. You get out of my life. You get out of my house. You get away from me and my family. In Jesus' name, I command it. You leave me alone. Mm-hmm. And that's you know three places in the Bible where it says that same word, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's yeah. the opposing word. So the basic spiritual warfare thing is to say, Satan, you get out of my house. You know, you, you know your demons, your evil spirit. You know, if you're there, get out of my house in Jesus' name. You get away from my family in Jesus' name. And a lot of times, you know, instead of having addictions, now you just have temptation. Instead of having chronic disease, now you just have an illness. Instead mm-hmm. of having bitter conflict that, that's intractable, now you just have conflict resolution to deal with. And mm-hmm. so I'll go around my office and, and cast out demons and, you know, and all of a sudden things are a lot better at, at the workplace. Uh, but I do it when nobody's around. 
because it looks crazy. Okay, and then the E, the E is extreme prayer. Like, that's where you say, okay, now I've done all of this base, and I'm going to now pray the kinds of prayers that Jesus promised he would answer with infinite power. He said that if you, anyone who believes in me will do the things that I have been doing, he will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. And he's mm-hmm. saying, he's saying he, I did great things, but you're going to do amazing things even more than I did. How, how is that so, Jesus? How would we do such a thing? Well, then he just says, because you're going to pray prayers that are consistent with my will. You're going to pray prayers for the salvation of the people around you, and, the, and, and my will be done, and my kingdom come on the earth as it is in heaven. And so that's, that's the extreme prayer that comes at the end of active or proactive I have this question, and I don't really know how to formulate it, so I'm just going to kind of work through it if you will just be patient with me. But I promise I'll get there. What is going through my mind is this concept of, of miracles. And I'm thinking about your story about this boy who, who, who was very sick, who prayer obviously healed and influenced and, and changed his life. Uh, and I think about some of the other stories, uh, and you talk about this idea of extreme prayer. I guess what what I really want to know is, you know, in the in the church we we have such a, a problem with this concept of miracles or or believing that God is actively working in that way in the world. Do you think that we we don't see God moving in that way because we don't know how to pray God's will? Well, I I don't know if that's the way I want to phrase it, but yeah, that's where we ended I think up. we have a problem so. coming from. The Western rational worldview, we can only see, you know, people can only see what they expect to see. We've gotten so much good out of science. Science is such a great thing that, that you know, mm-hmm. people in the Western worldview made up. It's a good system, but the thing is that it doesn't cover what you see in the Bible. It conflicts with it, you know, so people are saying, right. hey, you know, I've become a believer in science, and now that basically means there's nothing that's unseen and powerful that can happen anymore. Everything is measurable. Everything is touchable and everything is tangible. And that's all that's real. There is nothing real that's unseen. And, and that world, and then if we ever encounter something that, that throws that into confusion, we just ignore that part. You know, any evidence that we see with our eyes that does kind of indicate that there's something unseen going on, we just say, oh, well, that's weird. That's an anomaly. I'm not going to pay any attention to that data point. It's really an unchristian worldview, and we can broaden it out. I'm not saying science is wrong. I'm just saying, hey, you know what? There's Science is very good for what it's for, and it helps us do a lot. You know, It right. helps us figure out how to lose weight and stuff. That's great. It doesn't tell us why, and it doesn't cover the unseen God who created it all. It doesn't tell us where we came from. And so what what happens is we're just, we're, we're so raised and steeped in this worldview of rational thought that, that we don't ever really even pray much for miracles. The thing, the thing about miracles and the miraculous God is he's not, there's no Christian magic is not a, not a good thing. Right. Like, you know, if magic is when you obligate an unseen power to do what you want. Right. God doesn't play that. Right. He just doesn't do it. And so when it comes to illnesses and those kinds of things, you know, we don't we don't actually have the promise from God that we'll always be healed of illnesses because that's not the nature of the world right now. Right. We're actually in this fallen creation where that that's just not what happens. We end up dying. We die. I mean, everybody does. So 
even if you said, you know, nine times out of 10, right. we're, we're going to get our prayers answered about illnesses. It still would, there would be that time where you died and that would be discouraging to faith, you know? So we, right. we don't actually have, when Jesus says, I'll do whatever you ask in my name, he's not talking about sicknesses. So what is it like with sicknesses? Well, you know, we, we do actually are encouraged to pray for the sick and that the prayer of a righteous person is going to avail much. What I see in my life is mm-hmm. when I pray in faith and say, Lord, like a child, this is what I want. I want this person to be healed. A pretty significant amount of the time, I'll see them healed. Like uh, we had one of our colleagues here recently, they were diagnosing him with a, a problem that would basically mean, okay, we now know what's wrong with you. You're going to need a liver transplant eventually, and this this will probably kill you eventually. And that was the situation we had. And so we gathered around him in the hospital room, and we prayed, and we actually literally said, Lord, you know, we're little children. We don't want this to be the case. You you can make it the case, but here's what we want. We together are asking you that this would not be the diagnosis, and that the next time they come in here, it will, it'll totally be different. And I kid you not, they walked in there and said, huh, well, looky here. We were wrong about that diagnosis. The, wow. This more detailed test shows that you don't have a problem with this at all. It was just that fast. That shouldn't surprise us that God is wow. able to do that. I mean, he did create the world and all. The thing that's discouraging or disappointing about God is that he could have just as easily not done that, and he would still be God, and he would still be good. Mm. Because we're all going to die of something. You know, the prayer thing, we make it all about yeah. sicknesses, but it's not that. And when Jesus says, you know what, up until now, you haven't prayed anything in my name. They probably prayed for sick people before. They probably had, you know, prayed for a lot of the kinds of things. He's saying, yeah, but you've never prayed for anything consistent with my character before. Right. You've never prayed anything in my will before. So then he says, ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. He's not saying, hey, you know what? Uh, you've never prayed for the right. sick before. You know, that, they've probably done that who knows how many times. He's saying, you know what? You've always been praying for stuff you wanted your whole life. All the prayers you ever prayed, they were about stuff for you. You ask in my name, in my authority for the things that mm. I'm interested in and then watch what will happen and your joy is going to be complete. Right. It's so difficult though, man. It's I think we're all raised with this concept that if demonic oppression is a thing that happens in the world today, it happens in the third world. It doesn't happen in, in where I'm from. It doesn't happen in my neighborhood. If God is going to perform miracles, it's because they need they need those miracles in the third world because they have no concept of who God is. And somehow we as a Christian people in our religion and our faith and our in our experience have evolved beyond needing that. I, I used to think that. Talk to me about that. That's I totally used to think that. I I used to think, oh well, I'm hearing all these stories from missionaries in the third world, but you know, God doesn't do that stuff here anymore. And I'm hearing about the about Satan's influence in the third world, but God doesn't uh, Satan doesn't do that stuff here anymore. And maybe there's some truth to the, the nature of how Satan works in the third world. Uh, because they already believe in him. And so if he manifests in more power, you know, his whole game is how do I turn people away from God? So in the third world, right. that's, it's going to be more advantageous to get people through acts of power, demonic power. And in the first world or in our, in our world, in the Western kind of uh, rational worldview, if he were to just pop up and do some work of power, people would be like, whoa, you mean he's real? Uh, you know, maybe God's real too. And so I could see a little bit of that. But what I found out coming back and talking about this is that people here have had experiences of of satanic influence uh, and they just don't talk right. about it to each other. I've heard people tell stories about, well, I've got my house is haunted. There's things moving around in my house. Yeah. And, you know, they've got that, you know, they've got that from Hollywood. 
but you know, who do you think made those movies in Hollywood? Those are advertisements for yeah. Satan. You know, those are not that they're not as powerful as the Bible is at telling us what's going on. You know, so we have things going on in our houses where demonic influence is happening or in our, you know, at church, you've ever been through a really crazy fight at church. Thought, Man, what, you know, yeah. when, when we in the West don't believe in Satan and in his demons, it's a little bit like being in the Viet, being in the Vietnam war and not believing in the Viet Cong, you know, and you're, you're, nobody could be mm-hmm. more vulnerable than a, than a soldier in a, in a war that doesn't believe in the enemy. And you're, and you're wandering around, you're like, Huh, I wonder how the pastor got a, addicted to pornography. That's weird. Huh, that's so unusual. And then you look around, oh, looky here, the elder became an alcoholic. That's strange. And you just see lives blowing up all around you. And you think, huh, that's strange. And and the rational explanation for what's going on is that demons are real. But the rational... That's the rational, the that's rational, the rational explanation. How do you explain Las Vegas? How do you explain a guy going up right. into a hotel in Las Vegas and shooting a bunch of people he doesn't know from a distance if you don't believe in in unseen demonic powers? You know, there's no rational yeah. explanation for that guy doing that. It didn't help him any. But once you start listening to Satan and demons, there is no limit to what will happen. And and we who don't believe in them are the most vulnerable people on the planet. And and it's yeah. just the same thing for miracles. If you stop praying for miracles, guess what? You're not going to see any. But in the third yeah. world, why do you think those people pray? They don't have anything else to work with. But you could pray here, and it and it would be amazing. Some of the time, God wouldn't do it because you know he's 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 humble like that. And and some of the time, he would, and you would be blessed by that. Yeah, I think that for us as pastors, there's there's a pride issue. On a certain level, like we all would love to see God move in a miraculous way in the lives of our our church and, and in the lives of our people, and that if we went to a hospital room and we gathered together and some elders and anointed people with oil, that God would actually do those things. There's this fear that he's not going to, and that we're just going to be humiliated in the end, and then we're going to have to make apologetics for God. Is that just a, is that just a simple pride thing? Is that just a lie from the devil that we experience? I think that's why Jesus said, unless you change and become like little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't even get started. Hmm. You know, it, you you walk in, it's not about you. It's no reflection on you if God is capable or incapable. You're, you're just the child who comes in and says, we're going to pray to our father that he would heal you. Wow. And, and, you know, the, and the guy says, well, what if he doesn't? Well, that, that's on him. It's not on me. Uh, my role is just to put hands on you and pray for you. And watch and say, the Lord, he's capable. But, you know, we have, we're submitting ourselves to him. He might decide not to. Let's not say his no for him. Let's see what he'll say. You get to this point in your, your ministry. I'm guessing things are going really well. You get a call from Pioneer Bible Translators. They ask you to be president of Pioneer Bible Translators. You accept the job and then you realize that you have no plan. Yeah, that was that was a, a big moment in my life where I was pretty excited at first, you know, oh, what a great honor. Somebody's wanting me to lead. And then I realized, man, I'm in deep trouble because what what's going to happen when I get to this board meeting and they say, oh, what's the plan? What's going to happen here? What what are you going to do? And then uh, the, the answer is, I, I don't have anything. I don't have any plan. And you decide... You have one thing that you can do, one thing that God has consistently taught you, and that was prayer. And you decide prayer is for what we do at Pioneer Bible Translators. Our strategy 
is going to be prayer. Yeah. What happened was I, I said, okay, I'm a Bible translator. I'm I'm in a desperate situation where I'm going to come up with a plan and I, what we need is power, literal power. Uh, we all know what needs to happen. The organization, we've got all these Bible translation needs out there and we can't meet them. So if we we have to double in size, get twice as many people, you know, we're going to have to have a, a piece of property and we're going to have to build a building. And we've never done any of these things quite like that before. We've never raised any money. We're still in debt. You know, we'll have to get out of debt. And we'll have to have all these things happen that have never happened in our organization before. We know what has to happen. We just don't have any source of power for it to happen. So, you know, that's when I said, all right, I'm a Bible translator. What if I actually read the Bible? And and then, yeah. you know, what, <laughs> what if I there. open the Bible and I just look for what are my sources of power out there? And then I just came across this whole theology of prayer that Jesus goes into meticulous detail on where he says, you know, if you pray in Jesus' name, and we already talked about that, if you pray persistent prayers, and he tells a couple of parables about that, if you pray unified group prayer, that's like a symphony to God, and he'll answer that with unlimited power, and 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 then uh, prayers of faith yeah. and faithfulness, and you know, the, those, those are the, and then I would say also specific prayers. So those became kind of the principles that I found in the Bible, and I said, you know what, what if this stuff would work? What if the thing that Jesus said in the Bible was true because I've bet my whole life on the Bible. Uh, I'm a Bible translator. So let's right. double down on this thing. Let's let's actually just say we're going to meticulously apply what Jesus said, and that's going to be the strategy. Instead of praying about our strategies that we come up with, we're just going to make prayer the strategy and and see see if God will move in power to do these things. When you present this idea to a board, do they think you're insane? You know, uh, it helps that Pioneer Bible Translators Board has, as the chairman of the board, a guy who runs a prayer ministry. That did not hurt a bit. That's helpful. But, <laughs> but it was kind of a tense moment because, you know, it's like saying, hey, we're going to make prayer the strategy. And they said, well, what have we been doing up to now, Mr. President? You know, you think we hadn't been praying? You know, that's that's what people generally say when you say, hey, we, we're going to make prayer the strategy. And they're like, well, what do you think I am? You know, I think I haven't been praying, you know, and, and people react to it like, oh, this is just too, it just sounds too good to be true, too easy. It's too simple. Right. It can't really make all the difference in the world. But but the board, you know, I think they were patient with me. They're like, okay, let's let this guy, let's see what he's got. You know, let's see it. Because it's not hard to tell if it works or not. You, you just, you just yeah. pray together, unified group prayers, you persist in prayer. So that, that has certain implications. Like you got to have some prayer lists and we had a prayer request list that we said, okay, here's the strategic prayer request list. And uh, we put that together and that was basically the goals of the organization. And uh, we began praying yeah. uh, and, and prayer is so deceptively simple. You just kind of like gather in a little group and you start talking to somebody you can't see. Right. And you say things that aren't real yet, mm -hmm. and, and you ask him to make them real. Yeah. You just talk to him, and and at the end, you don't hear any thunder. You don't you don't feel the earth shake. Usually, it happened in Book of Acts, but in my experience, not yet. But all of a sudden, if you keep doing that, all of the things that were impossible become possible. Right, and they become possible in a very gradual way, or in a very in a very uh, normal seeming way. So you'd be able to say, oh, okay, we didn't need to pray after all. Uh, God, you know, it's just kind of happening anyway. <laughs> but that would be the voice of a lack of faith. Mm -hmm. You know, so you have to have the eyes of faith to see, oh, look at this, God. You know, we've been praying the same thing for, sometimes we've prayed a prayer for eight years. Wow. And you might say, okay, well, come on, you know, eight years, really? That's persisting in prayer? 
isn't that just being a little bit, uh, you know, uh, OCD or something? But when we needed it, we prayed for eight years. And when the time was right, God moved in power and the thing just came together wow. and happened. And, and sometimes it's been really fast. Let's say I read your book. I'm a pastor. I read your book. I'm I'm super crazy excited about everything that you talk about. You give like these six these six types of prayers or ways to pray that God answers. And like I said, it's just a really great book. But now I've got all of this uh, the spiritual energy right, and I'm excited. And I go to my board and I'm like, Hey, we have a new strategy. We have a new ministry strategy, and it's around prayer. It is prayer. It's not around prayer. Our strategy is prayer. So how do I, as a church leader, implement that in my church? Okay, well, what I usually do to help people with that, you're going to need to kind of go through a process because, first off, you have to actually know what the master's business is for your church. You have to spend some time asking God to show you, and this is like a group time, you know, asking God to show you what he wants your church to do. So you've got to have your marching orders for, you know, to be able to do something in Jesus' name. You've got to know what Jesus is doing in your neighborhood through your church or in the world through your church. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you've got to first ask God to show you what he wants you to do. This is a prerequisite. You can't, you can't just pray whatever you want. That's not what prayer is about. You can't pray God's will if you don't, if you're not sure what that is. If you don't ask God to show you his will, you're not going to be able to pray God's will. So, right. so you're going to, you know, prayer is not about getting whatever you want. Prayer is how God unleashes power in you to get what he wants. Mm -hmm. Prayer is how God does wow. stuff on the earth. And so the first step in prayer is you getting aligned through the power. You know, if there's something going on in God's mind in heaven. God wants something to be different on the earth. And then the Holy Spirit is aware of God's mind and is inside of your body. And if mm -hmm. you invest some time asking God to show you through the power of the Holy Spirit, you will understand something has to change in our neighborhood. God has shown me this. And so, but you have to, you know, the second step there is you've got to listen for God's assignment. If all of your prayers are about you talking to God and you never just shut up for a minute and listen, you're you're not going to get that assignment for those marching orders yeah. from God. And there's a bit of a it's a it's hard to know, you know, am I really hearing from God in this? And that requires what that requires is essentially practicing and testing to see if you've understood or not. You know, you say, okay, I think this is what God is saying. What, and then, you know, exchanging that with each other and saying, well, have you, have you got anything from God on this? You know, do you know what God's will is for us on this? And then when you start seeing kind of a consensus in the body and then you take some steps in that direction and God confirms by answering your prayers, you've, you can then realize, okay, we're on the right track here. We're learning how to perceive God's will in these things. And then when you've got God's assignment for your church, there's going to be some goals associated with that. You know, when he says, mm -hmm. if, uh, whenever two or more gather in my name, uh, uh, to about a, uh, about anything, the, anything there is a, is a pragmatos in Greek. It's a, it's an undertaking, you know, it's not an object, it's an undertaking. So when you, when you get together and you say, Hey, we have an undertaking, here's the thing that God wants us to undertake, then you're going to have, uh, some goals, that's, it's going to be a, a thing that you're trying to, to do together, and you're going to have some impossibilities. The way you make your prayer list is you say, okay, here's what God is showing me I'm supposed to do. It's a ministry to the, to the, hand, to, to the people who uh, are handicapped, or it's a ministry to children with autism, or it's a, it's a ministry to not, reach out to the neighborhoods and bring people to Christ, whatever it is. Then you say, okay, whoa, 
There's a problem here. There's a lot of things we don't have that it would take. There's a lot of impossibilities here. There's obstacles in the way. And so you just list out all of those things that make it impossible to do what God wants you to do. And you write those down. That's your yeah. prayer request list. You say, God, there's these mountains in the way, and we're going to speak to our mountains and tell them to go cast themselves into the sea in Jesus' name. And and, hmm. and then, you know, you say, here they are. Here are the obstacles. Lord, we don't have enough people. We don't have the right people. We don't have enough money. We don't have uh, enough knowledge. We don't know how to do this. Please, you know, and so you make a list of whatever it is you don't know or you don't have. And, and then God, then you gather people together regularly for unified, persistent group prayer. If you prayed it once and God answered, you'd be like, yay, we did it. But if you pray it for a year and then God answers, you'll be like, oh, we serve a great God. You know, he, he's answered our prayers. Yeah. Uh, and the thing is, you've got to pray expectantly in faith. You know, you can't pray and think, huh, too bad he really isn't capable. You know, if, if you go to God asking for, for him to show you his will and you don't bring a pencil and paper, you are not praying in faith because mm-hmm. you're going to want to write that, that, that yeah. thing down. You know, that's when you get it, it's going to be precious. So that's, that's what I found in my life was uh, I wasn't really praying expectantly. I wasn't praying, expecting God to move and change things. And first we called it the long-term prayer request list instead of the strategic prayer request list, because it was going to be stuff so hard for God that it was going to take him a long time to answer. That just showed we had no faith. Wow. But that's, that's what I think this is, this whole thing is about for Jesus yeah. He gave us these instructions as a way to grow faith in people. You know, if, if I told, I said, Rocky, here's, here's a group of 37 people and I want you to grow their faith. You'd kind of be at a loss as to how to do that. But, right. by, but one of the things that we discovered by just doing what Jesus told us is that if you'll gather together and pray for these things and experience his power moving and you see the answers to prayer, what that does is it grows faith in people, and that's an important that's an important critical thing to do. To grow faith in human beings. That's you know for the Apostle Paul for Jesus. It's all about faith. Man, I'm just I'm just blown away. I am just blown away. Uh, I'm excited about your book. I think so many people are going to benefit from reading it. I really appreciate you uh, giving me so much of your time today. Thank you so much, uh, everybody. Greg Pruitt, his book, Extreme Prayer, is available everywhere. You can find out more about him and the book in and, and our show notes, and there will be a link to the book at Amazon. This will be a great book to to do at a Bible study because at the end of every chapter, there are some questions that you can share with your group. There's incredible stories and testimonies that are inspiring. Again, Greg, thank you so much for being on our show. I'm just really excited about what God is is doing through you. Um, and through Pioneer. Yeah, if somebody wants to learn more about uh, Pioneer Bible, they can go on the pioneerbible.org website. It just, you know, has a lot of good information on there about what we're doing. And really, that that's this, this, a lot of times, you know, I wonder if people write a book and then later realize, man, that wasn't, uh, you know, all consistently powerful like I thought it would be. But the truth is, I've been doing this now for more than 10 years. And this, the things that I learned in this book, I, I haven't written another book because, frankly, it's hard to get motivated to write about anything else uh, compared to this. Yeah. So I really do think that your listeners will, uh, if they'll get the book and they just sort of figure out how to practice these very, very, very simple pr- – that's really it, Rocky. There's, there's, uh, there's only one way to find out, and I wish I could make this 
as big a deal, you know, like the next big thing, or at least as big a deal as like essential oils, where where people are going, man, you got to try this, you know. But you know, people just we're just like spreads from person to person. (laughs) But so I mean, people people just need to try it. Dear people who love essential oils, I'll be sure to include Greg's email address in the show notes so you can write him directly. I'm not saying anything bad about essential oils. I'm just saying I wish it was like that, where people are saying, hey, try this out. This is amazing. Yeah, for sure, man. Well, thanks again for being on our show, man. Yeah, my pleasure. And that's going to be our show for today. The Productive Ministry Podcast is hosted by Rocky Hernandez and produced by myself, Tim Jenkins. Special thanks to Greg Pruitt from Pioneer Bible Translators and the author of Extreme Prayer for being our guest today. Also, thank you to Audible.com. I did not mention it at the top, but they are the sponsor of the show. You can get a 30-day free trial and a free audiobook when you sign up at audibletrial.com slash ministry. If today's show has you wanting to check out a book on prayer and you've already read Extreme Prayer, get an audible trial and check out Thomas Merton's Contemplative Prayer. You will not be disappointed. The Productive Ministry Podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are served. Wherever you listen to podcasts, we ask you to please rate and subscribe. That helps us out so much. Also, we'd love for you to share this episode. This is a great one. I know that the audio on Greg's uh, end was like being on the other end of the phone call because that's pretty much what it was. But recommend this show to somebody so they can hear the incredible interview that Rocky did with Greg. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash productiveministry.org or on Twitter at prodministry. Our website is productiveministry.org. Our closing music is the song Rear View by Josh Lees from his album Rear View. You can find out more information from him and a lot of his great music on bandcamp.com. This has been a production of Rumble Media LLC. And as we say every time, we hope you have a productive week. Glad to be back. <laughs>